If you were following the news between 2016 and 2019, you might have seen headlines saying things like, Teacher Salary Wars Leave Utah School Districts Scrambling, Teacher Salary Wars Has Devolved to Cannibalism, Superintendent Says, or Utah School District Wants to Pay Its Starting Teachers $50,000, and It's Likely to Start a Salary War. The Salary Wars. A time when school districts across the state battled one another over one precious and scarce resource. Teachers. We said it in part one, but it's worth repeating. Within the walls of our schools, teachers have a bigger impact on student learning than anything else. To be fair, salary wars always seemed like a bit of an exaggeration. And Utah school leaders are actually really collaborative. But districts truly were struggling to fill teaching positions. And so they were doing everything they could to hold on to the teachers they had and bring in new teachers. See, about 42% of Utah teachers leave the classroom within their first five years of teaching. More than half leave before they hit eight years. You add to that all the teachers who retire every year and everyone who leaves for other reasons, and we lose about 10 or 12% of our teacher workforce every year. That'd be fine if we had enough new teachers to fill those vacancies, but some years we graduate fewer than half as many from our own in-state teacher colleges. The reality is it's a tough career to stay in because it's a tough career to just live within the realities of what we have to deal with. It's about the systems in place that are driving the qualified teachers that we have out of our system. That's Erin Birchall, a teacher at Uinta High School and former Teacher of the Year. You know, we have a housing crunch. We have a labor market that's thriving that can frankly attract teachers outside of the classroom and pay them more and give them more autonomy and give them the things that they need. The salary wars seem to wind down as some of the bigger Wasatch Front school districts approach starting salaries of $50,000. Several years later, we've continued to see meaningful increases in teacher salaries, but we still have the same levels of turnover and too few new teachers each year, which begs some questions. What are the systems that we need to change? And what does it take to make sure Utah students have the best teachers possible? This is the Your Utah, Your Future podcast. Envision Utah's podcast about how we make sure Utah is a great place to call home now and for years to come. And this is part two of our series on the future of education in Utah. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you might want to start there. We gave an overview of our K-12 education system, how the system is funded, how it's run, and more. Sort of an education crash course. Today's episode is all about teachers. We'll talk through what the teacher shortage is, why it's happening, and we'll walk through the vision for teacher excellence, a comprehensive strategy to stabilize the teaching profession, then optimize it so our students all have the chance to get a great education. When we use the phrase teacher shortage, I guess it gets misunderstood a lot because people assume that that means we don't have bodies in classrooms. We do. That is Nane Christofferson. Close friends of Envision Utah might recognize her. She spent four years on the education staff here while she got a degree in English education. Now she's a language arts and reading teacher at West High School in Salt Lake City. And she's right. The teacher shortage doesn't mean we have hundreds of empty classrooms every year. Although we do always have some. They usually get filled with long-term substitutes or classes get combined. What we really mean when we say teacher shortage is that we have fewer teachers coming out of college teacher preparation programs. So fewer teachers with traditional training and qualifications, which means more of the bodies who are in classrooms are underqualified or haven't been trained in traditional ways. Maybe we ought to take a second to explain just how someone becomes a teacher and why we care about this distinction. To help, here is Mary Burbank, director of the Urban Institute for Teacher Education at the University of Utah. 
within a traditional university programs, undergraduate degrees with licensure are pretty common. So at the U, for example, people can complete a bachelor's in arts or science and a license. So they're combined. Now we have three options where students can do a master's degree and a license simultaneously. This is the traditional college degree route, earning a bachelor's or master's degree in teaching. Aspiring teachers learn all about how to teach, become experts in their subject areas, get practical experience, and do pretty much everything else to become a teacher. Then the state board will give them what's known as a professional educator license. But someone can also become a teacher taking what's called the Alternative Pathway to Professional Educator License, or APPLE for short. The APPLE program is the program currently run through the state. And again, that's the program where people are employed by a district or a charter school or a private school, and they work with the state to ensure teachers are taking the necessary coursework. Those who go through APPLE are given an associate license, which they can have for up to three years while they complete the same training and demonstrate the same competencies. They're just teaching as they're doing all that training. Here's where the teacher shortage comes in. Utah has around 30,000 teachers. In a prototypical year, approximately 3,000 teachers leave the classroom. That's 3,000 vacancies to fill. Plus, since Utah is a rapidly growing state, we usually could use, say, 300 new teachers every year just to keep up with the growth of our student body. In that prototypical year, about 1,500 new teachers graduate with teaching degrees in Utah and enter the profession. That means there are another 1,800 teaching positions to fill, Some of these will be filled by teachers coming with teaching degrees from out of state. Some will be filled by teachers re-entering the profession after being away from the classroom. And then others will be teachers in training, like our Apple teachers. The Apple program itself is fairly new, and it was designed to be more effective than past programs. But there have long been similar ways to become teachers without first having a degree in education. And historically, teachers who go through traditional teacher preparation programs tend to stick around in the profession at twice the rates of those who don't go through the traditional programs. In fact, some years, Utah has lost as many as one out of every five non-traditionally trained teachers. Not to mention that students whose teachers have teaching degrees perform better on standardized assessments than students whose teachers don't have teaching degrees. Now, we want to be really careful here. We're not trying to parse out who's a great teacher and who's not. And we certainly have extraordinary teachers from both the education degree route and alternative routes. But these are real consistent challenges. We deal with them because we need every teacher we can get. And that is kind of the problem. Fill it out here in more rural Utah because quite often they'll come out here and they'll teach for a year or two. And then understandably, they'll find a job closer to their family or closer to the city where there's more social opportunities. Here again is Aaron Birchall. And I don't fault them at all. (laughs) I really don't. But it does leave us in that position of consistently looking for teachers. And because of that, almost half of our teachers in our school district have to do an alternate route to licensure. They're not graduating with teaching degrees. They have degrees in their content area, but then we have to give them those additional trainings and resources to actually teach them how to teach that content area. If you were in charge of finding the best teachers possible to give a group of students the best education possible, you'd ideally have your choice from a big pool of candidates. And we simply don't have that. Bottom line, we want to figure out how to reduce teacher turnover and attract more people into the profession. So let's discuss for a minute some of the factors that might contribute to high turnover or that might scare people away from teaching. Then we can discuss the factors we can change. A 
everybody said that the first year of teaching would be so hard. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've been through hard things before. And I just had no concept of what they were talking about. That again is new teacher Nane Christofferson. A school year in Utah is 180 days. That's 180 days that each need individual lesson plans, materials, handouts, assignments, project descriptions, assessments, and everything else. And with those 180 days in the classroom, the longest teaching contracts in Utah are only about 190 days, which means there's not a lot of paid time to prepare for the days students are there. It's not too hard to imagine how teachers could get burned out early in their careers when they're inventing those 180 days of instruction for the first time. But let's say a teacher gets through those first few years. There are a lot of other challenges that might contribute to high turnover rates. Attendance is really hard. School has lost its sense of inevitability, I think. School doesn't feel like a given the way it did before COVID. And so everybody I know who's teaching at a secondary level, at least, is struggling to get kids in the classroom consistently on time. So practically just class size. Again, we're fortunate to live in a state that celebrates young people and families and students. But practically working in a classroom where class sizes are too large really inhibits teachers' work. I don't know if anything can prepare you for having a job that is so politicized and where you're constantly in the crosshairs of other people's political agendas. That is exhausting. The difficulty comes in when folks equate different life experiences with the daily work of the teacher. The vast majority of folks know what school is as a student. So we all are experts on what a classroom looks like, how teachers do their work. But assuming the role of a teacher is much more difficult and much more complicated than being a student in a classroom when you were 18. One challenge for teachers right now outside of the classroom is a lack of trust and a lack of people in leadership who listen to teachers. For several years, the Utah State Board of Education has conducted a survey of teachers who leave the profession. Last year, 30% of departing teachers took the survey and they described some of the factors that led to their departures. The number one factor was emotional exhaustion and burnout, followed by what was described in the survey as job-specific stress. Unfortunately, the burnout and the many other factors that might push teachers out of the classroom end up creating a self-perpetuating cycle. Here again is Aaron Birchall. In the past 13 years, I've had to train a brand new teacher for 12 of those years. Every single year, we have a new person that we have to orient and guide and model and support. And I'm happy to do so, but it is very time consuming. And when you can't just pick up where you left off the year before and you have to start over from scratch every year, it contributes to that burnout and it affects student learning. That same survey also asked these departing teachers about the factors that could have encouraged them to remain in the classroom. The number one response? Pay increases. We tend to compensate in a manner that incentivizes teachers to leave the classroom rather than stay within the classroom. And it is within the classroom that the education takes place. That is Bishop Keith McMullen, CEO of Deseret Management Corporation. He started working with Envision Utah while he was board chair at the Salt Lake Chamber, and he served on our task force looking at teacher compensation. I think that we should incentivize teachers by pay to stay within the classroom and let them find not only a living wage, but a very comfortable remuneration for the work that they do. In 2019, Envision Utah pulled together a task force of education leaders, the state's top legislators, members of the governor's office, 
and some really sharp business leaders to try and answer an important question. What does teacher compensation need to look like if we want to attract our best and brightest into the teaching profession and keep great teachers in the classroom? At the time, average starting salaries for new teachers were around $40,000, and they topped out at about $70,000 by the end of a teacher's career. The Utah Foundation found that, on average, Utah teachers earned 27% less than full-time, college-educated employees in other professions. Plus, we found that teachers in 17 of Utah's 41 school districts could never make what was considered a living wage for a family of five in the counties where they taught. And those who could had to work at least a decade before reaching that living wage standard. But there was even more to consider. We surveyed 4,100 college students, and more than 40% of them said that at one point, they had thought about becoming teachers. Of course, most were not pursuing that career path, and why not? Well, pay was one of the top responses. That's not to mention the 700 former teachers we also polled who said that better pay is the number one thing that would make them consider returning to the profession. I don't know anybody from college who didn't want to be a teacher from day one. You wouldn't be there if you weren't resigning yourself to the compensation reality and weren't passionate about being a teacher. I think some people think that that is actually an upside of not paying teachers enough. They go, well, it's great because then we know the ones who are there are really passionate and that's who we want. And I don't think that is true. I think there are a lot of people who are passionate or would be passionate, but for whatever reason, like the circumstances of their life or their personal priorities or whatever else, being passionate about education isn't worth the quality of life you have to have as a teacher, particularly if you want to have a family or expect to be or need to be the sole breadwinner in your household. And I actually know a lot of smart people who would have considered teaching a lot more seriously or really seen it as a viable option if teachers made more money. But just what was and what is the answer to our question? What does teacher compensation need to look like? The answer is part of what we call a vision for teacher excellence, and it includes a much higher salary. Somewhere between a $60,000 and $70,000 starting salary should do the trick, but it's not just about starting salary. Teachers also need more rewarding and competitive growth opportunities, and if we want more teachers to stay in the classroom long-term, they need to be able to make about $120,000 or more by the time they retire. Now there are two caveats to this. One. These are not static numbers that will fix the teacher shortage the moment we hit them. In fact, we increased these targets just this year because what might have made a career competitive in 2019 isn't necessarily going to work the same in 2023. Two, obviously this is expensive. There's no way around that, but we can make it less expensive. For instance, we have a big disparity in the cost and value of retirement benefits between teachers. About half of our teachers have a really competitive retirement plan, the other half have a still good but less competitive retirement plan. And they're all on the same salary curve regardless of the plan they're on. We could take that into account as we try and raise teacher pay, and it both makes things a little more fair and makes these increases more affordable. This is a rabbit hole that could be its own podcast episode, so maybe we'll have to save that discussion for another day. At the end of the day, we all agree that our kids are our most precious resource in the state of Utah. They're one of the reasons why we have the economy that we have is because we have a workforce who can go into and support that economy. We need to look at kids as future investments, and we need to look at the people who prepare those kids for their workforce as some of our most valuable and not just valuable in terms of intrinsic value, but actually monetary value that you are willing to invest in them because they are willing to put forth and provide our entire community 
our entire state with improved quality of life and improved economy. And even though this is expensive, it's doable. Since 2019, we've gone from average starting salaries in the low 40,000s to this year when we expect to see a statewide average starting salary right around $60,000. We're making progress towards this vision. Any teacher will tell you, though, that improving the profession is not just about the pay. So if better pay is strategy number one, then strategy number two is to strengthen teacher induction programs. This can help fix that cycle we talked about earlier, give teachers more support in their first few years, and it makes it easier for them to stick around. Maybe more importantly, it benefits the new teacher's students during those first few years. Stronger mentorship and support can also be career growth opportunities for the teachers who do the mentoring and supporting, which can help veteran teachers stick around too. Strategy number three is to give teachers the option to work more to earn more pay. This isn't about giving teachers more work. Instead, it actually solves a lot of problems. Teachers could take on more responsibility without having to leave the classroom for administration. They could have flexibility to find ways to earn a bigger paycheck. And if they could get paid to become teacher leaders or mentors, they could better support their peers. Options like these offer greater autonomy, which leads to higher morale, less turnover, and more effective teaching. Strategy four is to provide more scholarships for up-and-coming teachers. Scholarships provide a relatively low-cost way to attract young people into the teaching profession. We could also target recruiting to high-need areas or use them to recruit more students of color, more men, and more first-generation students, all of whom are badly needed in the classroom. And of course, more scholarships would also mean teachers would have less college debt, making other pay raises go further. These four strategies, salaries, induction, pay and work flexibility, and scholarships, are what we believe it would take to stabilize the teaching profession. In other words, if we did all these things, we wouldn't have a teacher shortage. The profession would be more likely to attract great students into the teaching profession and keep our best teachers in the classroom. Our current teachers would be better supported and their careers would be more rewarding. Most importantly, all this would also benefit student learning. But of course, fixing the teacher shortage isn't the end game. We want to help teachers be as effective as possible. So after we've stabilized the profession, we can take steps to optimize the profession. Steps like these four. One, build stronger career pathways by increasing teacher leader positions with varied responsibilities and varied pay. Two, encourage greater family support and involvement in education. Three, ensure class sizes are effective for subject area and grade level. Ask almost any teacher and they'll tell you that smaller classes make it easier to provide really effective instruction. But we need to attract and retain enough teachers to begin with before we can talk about making classes smaller. And four, make sure our schools have adequate numbers of support professionals such as aides, counselors, clerical staff, mental health professionals, nurses, social workers, and college access advisors. We want the teachers to be educators. We also want them to be social workers. We want them to deliver social welfare benefits to not only children, but through the children to families. And we want to have them be the watch persons for the well-being of the underprivileged as the underprivileged assemble in the classroom. And that's spreading their responsibilities so thin. And it's not their fault. It's the expectations that we, as those who are responsible for overseeing their work, tend to load upon them. Let's talk for a minute about what would happen if we implemented this vision. There are the obvious direct workforce outcomes that we've mentioned, the same kind of outcomes we'd expect in any business or any industry. Better pay and better training and better support 
are going to bring more people into the profession and keep people in longer. Simple market forces mean the result is not just enough people, but more effective teaching. Then there are other direct benefits for students, like the fact that better induction would mean new teachers would probably do a better job in their first few years, or even the fact that teachers who feel less financial stress, or who don't have to take a second job, have more energy and more brain space to devote to teaching. Then there are other, maybe less tangible benefits. For instance, imagine how it might affect individual teachers if they could feel and see evidenced in their paychecks and in the systems they work in that the whole community is invested in their success. Or imagine what it would do for students if they knew and could see that the people who are teaching them are paid like it's prestigious for someone to be in front of the classroom. This is a tall order, and it won't fix every issue or challenge in our K-12 schools. But Utahns have high hopes for the future of education, and this is an important step, even a critical step, towards making our collective vision for education into our reality. Feel the need to individually take some responsibility to make the world a better place. And quite often, the most efficient way you can do that is by supporting public education. There is nothing that has more growth of potential where we take every child and we see where they are and we grow them further into what they can become. We can all improve our education system when we work within our own circles of influence. I think that there are some people who go like, well, I don't know what to do, or I have a job. I can't go volunteer in the schools. Well, that's just one way we can do it. I want us all to understand and truly believe that we're all on the same team. I love your kid and you love your kid and we're in here working together. For more on the Vision for Teacher Excellence, visit EnvisionUtah.org. Next time on the Your Utah, Your Future podcast, we'll talk about the future of our higher education system, the importance of education after high school, the barriers that Utah students face, and of course, what it takes to give every Utah the chance to get a great education beyond high school. For now, thank you for listening. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, educators in your life, coworkers, or anyone else who cares about the future of education in Utah. This podcast is an Envision Utah production made possible by Envision Utah's generous supporters and the many, many Utahns who have worked with us over the years on education. This episode was written and produced by Shayla Adams with me, Jason Brown. Special thanks to our guests, Nain Christofferson, Mary Burbank, Aaron Birchall, and Keith McMullen. We'll see you all next time for part three in our series on the future of education in Utah.